Welcome back to Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm here with my co-host, Sal Marinello. This is episode 84 for Coaching Kernan, but it's episode 10 with the hot corner with Coach Sal. How do you like that, Sal? Batman music for your, your uh, party Love theme. It. Love it. I'm old enough to remember the show, and I also think people should know how talented you are, and you were able to play that on your little keyboard and synthesizer, so uh, kudos to you. Oh, yeah, that's not uh, – people may think that's downloaded music. That's me playing uh, just with my left hand because i got to use yep. the right hand to take notes down. So, And I'm drinking my coffee at the same time. So pe- people get uh, get a good taste of, taste of our extra talents here on the show besides being one-track sports-minded. But uh, yeah, you had a good episode last week. I know we, we, we've taken some shows off this week with our uh, real voice – or our, I should say our resident experts. Um, so you and I haven't – talk to each other as much as we usually do, but I know we got a great episode in store for our audience to, today. And I guess to, to kind of kick you off, um, if it's, if it's okay, I know we were, we were chatting because you and I scroll social media, uh, just to kind of see what's out there. Tons of misinformation out there, which is the nature of our podcast in some respects where we're trying to educate and improve IQs of sports minded people in baseball, but, um, a lot of incorrect techniques. I don't care if it's hitting, Pitching, running, fielding, no checks and balances there. I know you're big on that, uh, especially on your Instagram stuff. What are what are you uh, what are you seeing out there, and what kind of information do you have for our audience in terms of kind of tracking that stuff? Well, what I'd like to give a little uh, um, shout out here and tell people on my Instagram, you could get some good background info for what we're talking about here. My my new Instagram is Coach Sal's Playmakers, and um, what I try to do is uh, illustrate what I'm doing with my clients. And I have both regular fitness uh, clients, everyday folks like the rest of us. And I have uh, some high level athletes. And, you know, if you know certain sports, you might recognize names and and faces. And another part of what I do is I try to give like a a minute or two uh, instructional video where I'm just, it's my beautiful face in New Jersey accent, giving you some points about what I'm seeing. And, my la- and I jokingly called it like a minute of hate because it seems like um, everything I see is just uncritically uh, reviewed before it's put up. And most of the stuff is wrong. And one of the things I just spoke about, Dave, was the speed and quickness and agility drills that are being shown focus on the speed of the foot hitting the ground without regard for any other aspect of sprinting that is going to dictate if you're sprinting well or not. Like and, uh, well, for instance, there, if you, if you, and this is probably going to be controversial in a lot of quarters, but the speed ladder is garbage because it's teaching athletes and people, if you're not an athlete, to move in a patterned way that just doesn't occur in sport, in an open field setting. There are no cones or there are no little boxes that you have to get your feet in and out of in a certain pattern. There is nothing about the speed ladder that couldn't be done better without the speed ladder. It's lazy coaches. And um, when I mean lazy, I'm talking both intellectually and physically uh, lazy that they can't come up with drills that are actually applicable and will transfer to sport. When you see a lot of these speed ladder drills where the person's moving a million miles an hour and you're like, wow, they're fast, they're quick, but Nothing about that quickness or that, quote, speed that you're seeing 
is really the proper way to do it in a field setting standpoint. The foot's hitting the ground incorrectly. The ankle, knee, or hip are either in the improper sequence or flexing and extending or are never extending, which you see most of the time. Um, Just give yourself a visual. When a person puts their foot in the ground and jumps to do a layup, that foot that goes in the ground is extended. Your ankle, your knee, and your hip is extended. That means you're straight as can be. That triple extension is the key to all speed, strength, athletic movement, triple extension. Um, So if you're not getting that when you're doing these agility drills and these running sprinting drills, you're not affecting, positively affecting your performance. I didn't know that. That's um, so triple extension. And I know we're an audio show only. Um, Is there a way that they can attain that on something like the ladder or is that... um, So triple extension, is that something like that they can attain using the ladder or is that impossible to do? Well, I mean, if if you're going to actually coach it properly, you could, but the ladder becomes a crutch and the speed at which you're stepping in and out of these boxes becomes the thing that's focused on, not the extension. So you, you have to, if you're going to jump, you have to extend, you have to get that triple extension. But believe me, from the athletes that I train and work with, of all levels, they don't get it properly when they're running because it's not trained properly. So it's something that happens and should occur naturally and normally that's being trained out of people. Is there a way, and I know, again, it's tough because we're not visual, but can you describe that to our our listeners at all? Like what, what the leg looks like as it goes through the triple extension? Uh, sure. I mean, it, the, it, it when it's in the triple extended position, if actually you go to my latest Instagram post, you'll see one of my athletes and the screenshot that is the cover of the post. The 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 toe. If you're if you would take a two foot stance, picture someone jumping up to touch the backboard or a rim. When they leave the ground, their feet are pointed towards the ground. Their leg, their knees are straight. And their torso is upright so that they're in a straight line. So that means all three joints, your ankles, your hips, I'm sorry, your ankles, your knees, and your hips have extended to ideally produce the most amount of power that you can produce. And that is the key to everything, to sprinting, to agility, to jumping. So those are the three, when you say triple, that's the triple ankles, knees, and hips. Yep. And in the proper sequence, it's a little too wonky to go into that in a non-visual medium, let's say, but you need to have those three joints extended in the proper sequence. And the best way to represent that is if you just look at someone that's jumping to touch the rim from a two-foot stance. That would be the easiest way to get even the most unathletic person to to get into a triple extension. And and this is maybe oversimplistic, but is that, that's the sequence that it would occur in when your sprinting ankle extends, then knee, then hip? Just going. Uh, it depends uh, where in the c- cycle, you know, the, the, the foot hits the ground, the ankle extends the knee, and then the hip. It should be uh, through the chain. And yeah. the, the timing of it is wrong. So what, what frequently we see, Dave, and this gets into um, 
the point I've made repeatedly since we've started this on the different shows is that most athletes I'm seeing have poor ankle range of motion yeah. and, and, and weak, literally weak feet. The feet can't handle the proper position the foot needs to be in uh, when the foot hits the ground. And because the ankle range of motion is poor, that impacts the amount of flexion and extension, the amount you can bend it and the amount you could straighten it. So when you have a limited range of motion, it affects everything up the chain. It affects the knee. It affects the hip. That's why when I have a young athlete come to me with a knee issue and they haven't been rolled up on, they're not a wrestler that got wrenched into a pretzel um, or they didn't you know, get some kind of traumatic injury. Uh, the knee injury is uh, the knee pain is a symptom of another problem, and and with young athletes that have not had a bad injury history, it's usually because their ankle range of motion is poor. How do you get? Uh, how do you strengthen your feet? Well, um, barefoot work is incredibly important. There are problems with the shoes that most of our athletes wear that I believe contribute to this problem. Uh, I have mentioned on other shows that kids that wear slides all the time, uh, I see kids competing with non-tied shoes, untied shoes. I had a team where I worked uh, basketball. I was the strength coach at Manhattan University and Manhattan College. And three, two of the three years I was there, we made the tournament. But we had guys that were always hurt and uh, had poor ankle range of motion, poor knee and hip uh, range of motion. And they would practice with their shoes untied. I would make them tie their shoes for workout. Uh, when you don't tie your shoe, your foot and your ankle can't go through its normal range of motion. When you're always wearing slides and those other summer shoes kids wear, your foot is not working the same way it would work with a tied shoe or barefoot even. Because why are they called slides? Well, not only do you slide your feet in them, but your stride becomes a slide instead of an actual stride, how your foot hits the ground. So, And, and we've talked about the lack of free play. That's another... Uh, component to this stew that uh, has created where we are, this situation, created a situation where ankle range of motion is poor, feet are weak. And, you know, I have, you know, when your foot hits the ground, your forefoot hits the ground. So like the ball of your big toe, the ball of your pinky toe should be what hits the ground. And then kind of like as a follow through, your heel can come down. What you're, what you're seeing in a lot of these drills is the flat foot hitting the ground. So the heel is hitting at the same time as the ball of your foot, as your forefoot, which then makes it impossible for you to have extension at the knee and the hip. Does, does the combination of distance running and speed running, does that hurt the feet at all? Cause I, and I, and I don't know, cause I'm not a speed coach or a distance coach, but I've often heard with the distance coaches, they run kind of opposite of what, what we're talking about here where they'll go heel strike first and then kind of roll the foot up. Yeah, the techniques are different. You know, uh, track and field, I think um, the best thing about track training is if you can train to be a sprinter, that carries over into the other sports because I'm a believer. There's there's an expert out there by the name of Franz Bosch, and his position is, and I, I endorse this position, that from sprinting, all other forms of movement follow because it's a full, I'm not, and I'm not talking about a 75% sprint. I'm talking about telling someone to run as fast as they can. And then you watch what they do. And that's how you determine uh, how well they move. Um, Those are the things that um, help sports, the sprinting. Distance running 
should be left to the track and field people. Any coaches out there that use a distance running program to condition their field sport athletes is hurting everybody involved in the process, the athlete, the coach, and the team. What, now, what about the old uh, the fail-safe running poles for pitchers? Um, if, unless you're timing it, both from a work standpoint and a rest standpoint, that's mean. It's meaningless. It's it's uh, there. Yeah, I ran the poles. Okay, well, how fast did you run them in, and what was your rest period? Uh, I don't know. Well, then it doesn't matter. I mean, you could take. I could give you my best workout program that I know guaranteed will get a team of athletes in the best shape possible. But if you ignore the clock, if you ignore the time to finish and the time to rest, you're going to make it less effective than it should be. And that that's kind of a key. I, I learned that both as a professional athlete and in now regular life with working out. The amount of time that I leave for my rest often dictates the intensity of my workout. Um, that I'm, and the more systematic it is, the better workout I tend on having. If they made it like an interval training, kind of like you're saying, a more of a sprint from pole to pole or poles to poles with a time rest period, that would probably have more baseball. Uh, that'd be more of a baseball specific activity, I guess. Well, it's not even baseball specific. I don't. I don't think you know if if you're trying to develop that type of conditioning, that energy system, and that kind of work and recovery. You, it doesn't matter what of an, what kind of an athlete you are, unless you're a, a distance runner, you know, I, you should train similarly. Like there, I would, if you were a pitcher and you came to me, I'm not going to train you that much differently, especially if it's coming to that kind of conditioning work differently than uh, my lacrosse player or my football player. Because at the end of the day, you need to be able to go all out for, you know, three to six seconds and have a rest time in between. That's, going to allow you to come back and do that three to six seconds so there's there's a rule of thumb you can follow i don't again i don't want to get too deep in the woods because without it in front of you it's it's kind of inconvenient and it's hard to follow but there is a let's i'll leave it at this there's a formula that if you want to improve your conditioning it's a second of work and let's say just to keep it easier for a second of work you should rest five seconds that second of work is full out work. It's not, you know, jumping jacks. It's not an easy jump rope. It's not some kind of a walk. It is sprint as hard as you can for five seconds. And then you would rest for 25 to 35 seconds, depending on where you are in your cycle. And how long can you do that? How many times can you do that? Well, I like that. I wrote that down and I incorporate that in the our workouts here with the kids. And you don't, um, you know, not to get into team conditioning, but you're not doing that at the end of your practice. You're doing, you're front loading. When I was the head strength coach at the, the division one, two, and three colleges I were, was at, um, we would front load our conditioning. So we would warm up, have a progressive warm up that went into our first conditioning interval. And then we would go to our position work, our practicing, practice work, skill work. Then after about a half hour, we 20 minutes, we'd come back and do a second conditioning interval. So over the first, say, hour and 10 minutes, we would have done our conditioning and the rest is done at pace of play and pace of practice. Could, could you incorporate that? Or I know we're, we're kind of thinking out loud, but let's say I had a middle infielder. A lot of, the, a lot of infielders do not take pregame infield practice anymore. Um, a lot of the practices, it's not, again, like we talk about on the show, it's not with the same intensity level. Uh, I've always believed that 
infielders, because I was a second baseman, you need to have strong legs and you need to work conditioning with your ground balls. So it was a lot of repetitive fielding pickups for a time. Could you think, could that be incorporated there where you did 30 seconds of, uh, you know, side to side ground balls, let's say with the proper technique, proper leg, upper body position. Well, the, great, the, the difference with baseball as say uh, basketball lacrosse is what's, you know, you could actually do that. It would be great. And what you would do is you would say, what's the fastest, least amount of time between times the shortstop is going to have to run deep into the hole to backhand a ball, plant and throw, then get back to his position, run to his um, glove side, make a play and throw to first base. So you could actually, just off the top of our head here with your little brainstorm uh, idea, you could come up with a very effective drill that would probably squeeze the time a little bit than you more than you would see in a game, but still allow that player to maintain his form. Yeah, that's the key. Like you were saying, with going back to the ladder, you can set a drill up and the drill, you can learn how to beat the game, so to speak. Um, and, and on the surface on YouTube, it looks like wonderful. It's entertaining. Parents clap. They get lots of likes. But in reality, it, it doesn't translate over to the game. So, yeah. And, th- and next time you watch a ladder video, look at the posture of the person performing it. They're bent over. Their eyes are on the floor. Their eyes are on the ground. And they're, they're, they're not in good posture, which is right off the bat a problem. And you're not going to be able to extend your hip if you're leaning forward. What should the upper body look like in a sprint, like in a, in a proper sprint? Is it different for everybody? Is there a kind of a standard? Well, you want to be upright. You want to have good posture because running is a top-down endeavor. So you want your head still and your head still from being upright. Um, you Your shoulders are dictating the hip cycle. So in other words, your shoulders, um, by you should accelerate by your shoulders and that will make your hips slash legs accelerate. Uh, athletes who accelerate from the waist down, usually overstride, their foot spends too much time on the ground, they have a higher incidence of hamstring, back, groin injury, and they're slower than they could be because the, the more of the foot's hitting the ground, the longer your stride is. So top down. So yes, you, so you want that upper body up. You know, I've heard it described from good track coaches. You want it, when you're sprinting, you want to feel not someone's pushing you over, but someone has their hand between your, your your shoulder blades and they're pushing you between your shoulder blades so your chest is up. Okay. That's, yeah, that's because, you know, I see you watch on track and field and that's a little bit extreme, I would say. We're jumping from sport to sport. But their, their posture, their upper body posture over, you know, a, a short period of time, it, it changes significantly from the start to the, the I guess – High peak acceleration or high peak acceleration, I should say. But their goal is to get upright because if you're upright, your foot's under your hip. You're putting more force into the ground. Your foot foot is spending less time on the ground. We talked about that. I believe it was was it Machado who who yep. uh, blew out their ankle early in the season when they hit first base. Uh, um, I know it, Har- Harper did it at one point in time. A few guys did it this year, but yeah. So we talk about one, of the, one of the things you see is because these guys are overstriding. The foot's not under their hip, and they're not firm above they're not above you want foot strike from above uh when you're reaching that foot out you're you're in jeopardy your ankle your knee your hip your everything is in jeopardy if though if guys ran better um and um, we're talking about major league baseball to first base they would eliminate eliminate a lot of those problems when you hit the bag and, and they'd be faster 
in that last, and this is both technique for base running, but also for what you're talking about as a base coach, you're always telling those guys don't lunge at the end. Um, it, it slows you down, but also from an injury technique point, um, you, you hit on that point as well. You got to stay through your stride foot under hip. You can't lunge and do that. Otherwise that puts your foot way out in front of your hip. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're just, that's, you're just not as fast that, that, that slow stride, long stride is slow. So I always talk and make sure I, people understand we're not measuring your stride, but a slower is a longer stride. A slower stride is a longer stride. A quicker stride is a shorter stride. But I'm not measuring your stride because you could have two six foot tall people. Maybe their leg lengths are slightly different. Their ability to cycle their hips are, is different. So they're going to have different lengths. But you want them to be moving quickly so that their stride, their foot's not on the ground a long time, and you don't want their foot out in front of their hip. Once the foot hits the ground out in front of their hip, that means, again, your whole foot is hitting the ground instead of the ball of your foot. Well, I like that. Yeah, the, uh, you had wanted to cover some some additional stuff with the feet, or did we get to that? Well, I think we, we did, but really we I want to repeat what we said last week about the sprint when we did the session, when we did the show with Troy. Correct. Just because it's so ridiculous, uh, Dave, and we have to point out to people – you can't forget how ridiculous it is. And here's the line of reasoning that coaches are using in sports, and we've heard it in baseball. We heard it for sure in baseball. Here it is. Good athletes run fast. Sprinting puts athletes at risk of hamstring injuries. Therefore, good athletes should avoid sprinting. Now, that's a ridiculous line of logic, but that's the logic that was used by the White Sox to avoid hamstring injuries because their runner, their, their ball players were getting injured running to first base. The problem is they're not sprinting enough and they're not sprinting the right way and they're not sprinting at full effort enough. Uh, you know, sprint acceleration is one of the most important performance indicators we have. If not, if it's not the most, you know, most of the things that will downgrade, especially in the NFL combine, is if someone is slower than everyone thought they were. That's one of the things that they look for. So what is sprinting, Dave? It's how fast we move. And to put a little bow on it and to come full circle to the concept about the Instagram posts and the internet posts, you're seeing so-called strength and speed coaches recommending slow activities, slow movements to help you run fast. Squatting, deadlifting, Romanian deadlifting, which is a straight leg deadlift. It's the RDL. Those things, A, are not fast. B, are not specific. And C, have nothing to do with running. So they're not going to help you. So we need to get back to basics. And, you know, one of my mentors and a person, guy I've been lucky enough to get to know is Coach Jim Radcliffe at Oregon, who is responsible for the track dynasty they have there and was responsible for their football uh, coming to prominence under Chip Kelly, is that you get fast by running fast. Now, fortunately for Oregon, they had someone there who knew how to teach it, but Sprinting is the only exercise that has the hamstring activated in a way that it needs to be done when you sprint. So there's no real exercise in the gym that you can do that's going to do what sprinting does. In my philosophy, I'm trying to prepare the body to do those things. I am not replacing sprinting. I am getting the body ready to handle the load of sprinting. 
And as you said, based on technique, you got your ankles, knees, and hips proper position, but you also have your upper body. You know, the shoulders, as you mentioned, have to stay in tune with the lower body. Otherwise, you ruin your stride. You 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 have all sorts of issues. So, uh, as far as the hamstring itself, I, I like that statement. You said sprint acceleration is the most important performance indicator. Um, yeah. I love that. I, I haven't heard it articulated like that before. With this, as far as the hamstring itself, when I watch sprinters, uh, when I see sprinters, obviously they have the short shorts on, so you could see the breakdown of the leg, especially when they touch the ground. Right. It looks as like their leg uh, breakdown is two thirds hamstring, one third quad. Am I seeing things, or is that normal? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that. I think that there's people that try to quantify that, and I think it's kind of where people get into trouble. I think if you just work on the mechanics, the basic mechanics, and especially we're not talking Dave about chasing a hundredth of a, of a second where that might matter to the, you know, hundred meter champion. What we're trying to do is just, and again, we're handling a lot of these teams in a group, in a group situation. So the idea of what I do is my drills are designed to get to the detail level. That's going to correct them the best possible way, the most effective and efficient way that's going to put their body in position that they're running better. So I, I, a hamstring is much more involved at one phase of the running than the, than the quad, but all those muscles are contributing to movement. So I don't get into that again, because I'm not chasing the time, you know, the time and distance sports have a completely different mindset for how they improve versus the field sports and, and non time and distance sports. I think that's an important point right there. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's an important point because these kids are being trained right now, talking not by you, but by the the YouTube sensations, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, um, to chase that one-tenth of a second, to chase those extra three miles an hour on a fastball. And you're saying that's detrimental to their overall progress to their sport. Well, I think so, because again, until, you know, recent times, you know, we go back to that talking about that Nolan Ryan documentary, obviously the guy threw hard, but until they taught him properly, uh, fixed his mechanics, which was a very simple solution that a genius pitching coach, I forget the name of the California Angels came up with, um, and they, they fixed him by lengthening his stride, lengthening his stride, and I think we talked about it on the, the experts show, the problem today is you can't get athletes into that position because of the weaknesses and lack of range they have throughout their chain. Um, and because Nolan Ryan wasn't chasing velocity, he had it, they needed to get him into a better position. So yeah, I think we're, we're, we're chasing the wrong stuff here. And, you know, we talked about this last week. I think you have to remember uh, sprinting is a repair and prepare activity. That's so right. for someone who has an issue, we have to then, if they haven't been sprinting, we have to kind of have a parallel track that's going to both not overload them where they're going to re-injure it, but at the same time, start to prepare them for what they're going to need to do to make sure that doesn't become a chronic issue. I, I love the topic. That was one of the areas that I felt like I was a plus player on and it helped me get signed was my ability to run. Um, I was fortunate where I was gifted a little bit with some speed, but I did some of those things you mentioned, um, and maybe I got lucky and had uh, proper technique with ladder. But I was big into jump rope, uh, very simple. But I mean, that's more foot strike, uh, more rhythm, more timing. 
Are there simple things that kids can do out there to start maybe preparing themselves to, to get together with somebody like yourself? Um, and, and not to oversimplify what we're talking about here today, but I hope the kids are listening and the parents and the coaches that if you're out there chasing an arbitrary number, you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you go out there chasing proper technique and process, you'll ironically will eventually reach greater heights with the numbers, uh, whether it's miles per hour or speed. But yeah, especially for younger athletes, you know, that's the thing that you forget. You know, you might be able to get a little faster or throw a little harder as a un, not totally matured athlete yet, but you might be sacrificing a bigger advance, a bigger step up, a bigger improvement down the line because you've lost the opportunity to lock in your technique that ultimately is going to be responsible for that bigger jump. You know, you know, we've talked about that and you know, that you're chasing and you're skipping levels and you know, you can't do that. You just can't. That's it. And that's, that's something that I, I think hopefully people get with our show specifically yours. There's such an inertia for success out there, instant success, immediate success that people do fall victim and pray to trying to get that holy grail of, you know, let's, you know, let's get that quicker fix and uh, let's get there sooner than is necessary. It's, it's about doing the process the right way. Correct. Yep. So, Go so there's one, I'm going to leave everybody with this. Um, sprinting is a self-protective process and I'm going to use a fancy word here. It's, it's considered Mithridatic. And what that means, that's named after this um, pre, um, emperor, Mithridates, who um, took small amounts of poison to give himself an immunity from it. So that term is used when you're you're kind of become trying to get immune to something not as de- as deadly, obviously, as poison, even, but to then not be negatively affected by it. So by sprinting properly in the right doses and in the right way, you're building that self protective process that self-protective mechanism because you're doing it so you know that's one of the other big things i've said in my instagram if you go look at a couple of the videos if you're training slowly you're not going to be able to go out and move fast it's just not going to happen and that's where these injuries occur you have these young guys because and young girls whose bodies are amazing at this age where they can do almost anything young bodies are great at cheating but the problem is that cheating develops into poor form, poor technique that over time leads to these injuries. So it's important to get these fundamental uh, techniques down right from the beginning. The Mithridatic process. I wish the White Sox had learned about that earlier yeah. in the season. They would have saved themselves injuries. Say that statement one more time that you say about speed. Running fast is the only way. To get, you, the only way to get fast is to run fast. Right. So, you know, again, Coach Radcliffe could say that because he knows how to do that. Um, that being said, Dave, rather than some of this garbage I'm seeing in the weight room, athletes would be better, even if they weren't sprinting in the 100% best form, but still sprinting and not doing that other stuff because they're moving fast. So, you know, the chances of, of us being able to fix and address some issues these athletes have if they're not doing that stuff in the weight room, which is grinding them down and making them slower. If they're coming to us from a better position where their body is already used to doing this, their nervous system is grooved to move and respond and react quickly. We have a much better time fixing that. 
I like it. And, and as far as your Instagram posts go, you are posting some things that parents should take a look at and kids in terms of what not to do, right? It's called what's called your your minute of anger. Minute of hate. <laughs> minute of hate. Um, so I, I encourage people to look at, we have Jeff Fry's doing that. And what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to uh, put together a directory of all these pitching and hitting opportunities out there and get real life um, feedback from the people that are doing it, but also give real life feedback from us on the other side. So if that's something that uh, may, uh, maybe we can get some responses from the people listening, if that's something that would be helpful that coach Sal is doing here, maybe we can accommodate that as well. Absolutely. And like I said, if anyone goes, you could go even look at my, um, my, uh, profile page and just look at the snapshots of some of the posts. I try to put the triple extension position in most of them because that's the key to everything is getting into that proper triple extension position. So I love that. This was, this was a great uh, episode, gave tons of nuggets for people to grab onto. I write everything down for it. And I, I, I joke with my, my children, we have kids that are reaching that, you know, they'll be in high school soon next year, but one of them will be anyway but they're going to have to take the SAT. And I always tell them coach Sal comes up with one SAT word per show. So we're writing them down on index cards. So you're going to, you're going to be personally responsible for making my children faster, but you're also going to make them probably get a hundred points higher in the SAT because of the show. So we appreciate it. I take Venmo and Zell. So Venmo and Zell. Yeah, you got to start your own prep course. It's, it's, uh, it's happening organically right here. That's, That's the true. next phase of this show. Um, well, Sal, tell everybody how they can find you. You have a talk coming up as well. Um, tell, tell the audience about that so we can help support that group and you. And then yeah, we have a great baseball group, Holistic Baseball, uh, as uh, Troy Troy Rawlings is the kind of founder and head coach of that. And he's the driver. He has a great uh, – Christian Davis is his great partner. It's holisticbaseball.com, and they have a, uh, a, a soup-to-nuts, three-dimensional – improvement course it's all free for young baseball players uh i was interviewed they have a new interview i believe comes out almost every day and it's it's just designed to help young players increase their um recruitability but not just the same old same old they're trying to develop a complete person which is great so uh, you could see me there i think i'm going to be released my interview will be later this month but as i said you could check me out on my instagram it's something i'm really getting into coach sal's playmakers Follow me and give me ideas or ask questions, and I will promise to address them both on the Instagram and on the show if possible. I have a Twitter feed, which is at Sal Marinello, and I have a Substack, which is coachsalm.substack.com. So those are the best places to get me, and I, I will definitely respond to questions and comments. Any uh, any tease on what you're going to talk about on the or what you talked about on the interview? Well, you know what? I have a unique perspective that I've coached um, from youth to the Division One level, and I have recruited and dealt with players from the youth through the Division One level. And I had three sons who have gone through the process. So I have done it as a high school coach, getting kids into college as a dad, and recruited kids as a, a collegiate uh, coach. So part of it was that, and part of it was talking about being a father and being able to coach your kids and how those things are closely related and how it's all helped me be better and how it's helped my kids and how I think I've been able to help kids because of all those pieces coming together. So we had kind of a, a big 
wide-ranging philosophical talk because I think I'm the old guy on the block and I have some experience. So that might be valuable. So we had a, a very wide-ranging discussion. I'm looking forward to watching. I, I, I think we're both the old guys, so we can we can share that. I, I always tell people, they ask why, why I understand the recruiting process so well. And I said, one, I probably made every mistake you can possibly make along the way. But I was a recruited athlete in two sports. I was a college coach at every level. I was a head division one coach in two different or head division one coach in basketball, head coach in college baseball. Now I'm a parent. Um, I've seen my nephews through the process and, and now my children. And now I'm at that 10,000 foot view at the professional level where I get a chance to kind of see how it all works. So, yeah, it's it's funny how that's a it is, it's a unique perspective. I, and the, the dad one is probably the, the, the shakiest one of all of them because. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that'll be interesting. I think a lot of our parents will appreciate that because there are a lot, a lot of them in that same situation now. So, um, well, Sal, thanks so much. Again, your shows are always, I mean, they hit the audience square between the eyes and I know tons of appreciation for the knowledge you give. And of course, you know how much I appreciate you. I, uh, encourage everybody to follow Sal on Instagram, Substack, and Twitter. Also, make sure you're, you're aware when his interview comes out. I, I think it's going to be great. In fact, I know it's going to be great. And then uh, we'll be back next week with our regular schedule with you can catch Sal on the panel of experts and also on his show next week. Any ideas with topics, let us know. Um, we're, we're always willing to accommodate. And uh, you ready for my Batman rendition? I'm going to use the right hand this time. Last time I used the left hand. See if I'm equally as good. Hit it. All right. All right. Have a good day, guys. Yeah. Episode 83, man, or I'm sorry, episode 84, Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 10. Go ahead, Sal. See everybody next week. Thanks for everything. I'm going to actually have that on like a loop when 